to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Science advisor, Matt Moniz, is off. Stephanie Burke is off. It's just you and I, Matt, going old school. Going old school, but bringing in new technology tonight, which you'll be seeing in just a few moments. We're going to try and have live video of the Week in Weird with our news correspondent, Ashley Turner, coming up in just a few moments. That should be exciting. Why, why do you pick Mercury Retrograde to try this stuff, Matt? You just like to live dangerously? I'm, I'm trying to prove uh, that it's all bunk. That, I, I have all to agree. Bunk. I have to agree because we have problems with technology <laughs> year-round. It doesn't matter what Mercury's doing. We, we always love uh, Mercury Retrograde. It's just it's a convenient excuse for some of the stuff that we screw up, but I like to blame it on Mercury ret- retrograde just because like it's even, easier. Yeah, and even when it's not in retrograde, yeah, you still blame. Be like, it. like, oh, it's totally not me. It's uh, re- yeah, Mercury retrograde. Right. There was there was uh, I have to say, and I I don't mean this toward anybody in particular because there was a lot of people that was posting this, but I'm sure, like me, you're probably friends with a lot of people that are sensitive to energies on social media. You know, a lot of oh, yeah. psychics, mediums, empaths, energy workers, vampires, what have you. There's a lot of people out there that are sensitive to the manipulation of energies. And I just kept seeing people posting, like, last week, especially on Monday. Mm-hmm. Does anybody get, like, a weird feeling? There's, like, something weird going on with the energy right now. How about the fact that there's a total solar eclipse about to happen? Right. Like, that's probably what's messing up the energy. But, hey, not everybody is uh, not everybody's paying attention to what NASA says. I mean, the president doesn't listen to NASA. Why should anybody else? Right. I'm not sure how much uh, stock you can put into Mercury Retrograde anyway, but... I will say this uh, about Mercury Retrograde. You can look at it directly without special glasses. I do have to say, when, when I was... Uh, I, I attended, like, a, a little, uh, um, I guess, gathering of people at the, the park down in New Bedford... Mm-hmm. And um, where they were celebrating the the eclipse, and some of my electronic equipment wasn't working the way I, I thought it should. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Because yeah, I know well, there's just like I don't know. I asked I asked our engineer here at the station, Frank, if we should expect any kinds of problems during mm-hmm. the eclipse. Yeah, because the satellites and, and, and everything. But yeah. he said he said no. He said there shouldn't be any issues with that. But and I don't think there was. I mean, I went outside. And I pop my face out mm. for a few seconds just to see. I know there has been in the past, though. When um, well, there's been stuff that goes wrong without any kind of solar eclipse. Right, happening. right. But there's been there's been uh, you know when there's sunspots that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They like they'll give you warnings that that's happening. Like when there's solar flares, like they'll put out technical alerts mm-hmm. saying you may have issues because there's solar flares. But I did. Uh, did you get to see any of it while you were covering it? I mean, did you get to I look did, yeah. up? And it was it was uh, it was neat. Did you have the glasses, or were you just looking directly? At um, it? I just looked. You know, I like to live dangerously. I did the same you know? thing. Uh, but <laughs> someone had a um, a big thick piece of like welder's glass, mm-hmm. and I, I I got to um, look at it that way. Apparently, like people were going out and spending like up to fifty bucks for eclipse viewing glasses. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you could just go to Walmart and buy like a pair of welding goggles for like six bucks. Yeah, and would have well, been able to see everything just fine. I guess it doesn't work as well, but I mean, you can still see it. All I know is, like, I looked up at the sky. I was like, nothing's happening. And then Nancy, who works here at the uh, the FM station, was like, mm-hmm. "Here, look through my glasses." And I was like, "Oh yeah, now I can kind of see what's going yeah, on." Yeah, because I, I I didn't I thought I missed it. Right. And then they were like, "Oh no, it's like in the middle." It right didn't now. get. And then everybody's like, "Oh, it got so dark and everything got weird." It never got dark here. No. 
Like, there, I didn't hear crickets chirping, and animals weren't, you know, dogs weren't barking. It, it, right. it didn't get weird 20, here. 2024, though, I'm going to travel uh, to Head, the path, though. Head, heading, I, heading up to Montpellier? Yeah. That's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. The most total. That'll be good. So, uh, did you see they got Bonnie Tyler to sing Total Eclipse of the Heart during oh, the Total really? Eclipse? That's yeah. fun. That was pretty good. Still not as good as literal Total Eclipse of the Heart. Have you seen that video? No. Oh, my God. Let's just stop the show and go watch it on YouTube now. It's it, it, Have you seen the literal music videos where they take like music videos and instead of singing the songs, they're singing what's going on in the video? I've seen I've seen a couple of people do that, yeah. yeah. So there's there's one for Total Eclipse of the Heart. That's that awesome. Yeah. just amazing. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. We'll watch it after the show. And uh, speaking of video capabilities and video technologies, uh, well, we are going to be joined a little bit later on by our guest for tonight, John David Miller. He goes by Dave. We're going to be talking with him about his book, The Cybold Effect, Beyond Science, History, Ghosts, and the Appalachian Supernatural. And so uh, we will talk about what the Cybold Effect is with Dave, and we'll find out a little bit more about his theories, which are quite controversial. I started, I got the book, and I wanted to start reading the book, but I started to realize that this is one of those topics where if I do read the book, I might get ahead of the audience a little bit. So I said, you know what, I'm going to just wait and I'm going to have Dave explain it to me in plain speak like he will for the listeners so that we don't go too crazy with it. And just a quick programming note before we get into the week and weird. I want everyone to know that tomorrow morning there's going to be a special edition of the Chris McCarthy show here on WBSM. Now, for those of you who don't know uh, about the New Bedford Highway murders, you know our friend Aaron Kadju, who directed the, well, co-directed the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. Well, he is, I thought that was, I thought that was our, <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden I just see somebody walk by in the glass, I'm like, what? Somebody just walking by the studio. Uh, but so, Aaron co-directed the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. His new project is a documentary on the highway murders, the New Bedford Highway murders, still unsolved to this day. And, so he's in the process of putting that film together. I've seen the rough cut of the first part, and it was amazing. Uh, and I know where he's going with it, so it's, this is going to be groundbreaking. But there's a new book out called Shallow Graves that was written by Maureen Boyle, who was the newspaper reporter who was actually on the story when it happened in 1988. So she'll be here with Chris McCarthy talking about that book tomorrow morning. I think he's having her on at 11. Is that what he said? Yes. So tomorrow at 11, if you tune into WBSM, you should tune in at 10 for the whole you know, Sunday brunch show with Chris McCarthy. But uh, tomorrow he'll be having her on this station, on WBSM. So if you are listening on SpookySouthCoast.com and on YouTube or through our app, you can get to the WBSM live audio feed. Do you, know, you don't go live with the video on Sunday mornings, right? It's just recorded? Uh, no, but, I mean, you have the capability. Don't make it harder for me, man. <laughs> If it's, if it's easy, I'll do it. If it's hard, they can just wait for the video. Right. Uh, but uh, you can listen to it live through the WBSM app. And speaking of being able to do things live, let's see if this will work, Matt. Let's see if we can bring up our paranormal news correspondent, Ashley Turner, for the weekend weird. And I'm going to try and bring her up over here. Let me just make sure. Hold on. Tim, make sure your audio is down on your video stream. It is. I can still hear me. That must be from Ashley's computer. Uh, but uh, you can listen to it live through the WBSM. Ashley turned on the computer. And speaking of being able to do things live, let's see if this... Let's, uh, uh, I think she's turned me down. Oh, I think it might work. Can you hear us, Ashley? Wait a minute. All right, can you hear us now, Ashley? Hi. Whoa, that's uh, that's my fault. 
So we are getting a little bit of a double back there. Oh. Nope. Seems like it's gone. Yeah, I don't hear it. Excellent. Wow, well, this is going to work. Now Matt's going to try and bring up the video. Bam, and, here and I am. We'll see if we can... Well, I can see you, but we're waiting to make it so that the audience can see you as well. I'll just make faces at you until then. That's fine. That's... I would expect I that. Would... <laughs> oh, there I am! Oh, look at that. It's working. <laughs> you figured it out, Matt. I guess so. <laughs> Oh, man. So far, so good. I, you know what? You've done such a good job tonight now. I have tapioca pudding from the dollar store in my secret <laughs> oh, hidden spot you. in the newsroom. I will give you some tapioca pudding after the show. That's excellent. I'm going to send you a gold star. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take a gold star and tapioca pudding. All right. So, uh, well, this is the way that we're going to try and do the week and weird in the future then, whenever you can. Whenever you can go live, we'll try and bring you on live. Most definitely. This is fun. All right. So, you have some stories planned for us? I do. Or do you and want to just make faces for the rest of the segment? Either way. I could do that, too. They're going to be a little jet lag, but it's okay. Jet so, lagged? We're... Yeah, because it's like a little lagging. Oh, oh okay. I was like, like jet lag, whatever, oh. same thing. Okay. All right, well, go right ahead and, uh, and give us your first story. So before I made my stories, I didn't know you guys were going to talk about the eclipse, so that's what my stories are about. I'm sure course. they're better than what we were talking about, though. Well, I found out that a Christian radio host named Brian Fisher is claiming that the eclipse is a sign of work of Satan. Now, we all know that the solar eclipse happened this past week. It's a huge deal for some. Some saw the whole thing, and people like us in New England only saw a little bit of it. But a Christian radio host believes the eclipse is a sign of Satan. He states, this is a metaphor or a sign of the work of the Prince of Darkness in observing the light of God's trust. He wrote, in adding... Satan is unwillingly to serve as an accomplice to resonate the public acknowledgement of God in seeking the representations of Christian faith. So, I personally don't know what to think about it. I mean, I don't think it's connected to Satan. I just think it's what their solar system does. You can let me know in the comments below. (laughs) I mean, there is a long history of people associating eclipses with supernatural uh, explanations. You know, uh, one of the, one of the stories that ties back to this area is when King Philip uh, Medicom was trying to decide whether or not to attack the English settlers uh, during the, the days before King Philip's War. It was actually a, a a total lunar eclipse that gave him the idea that you know that gave him the sign that said, "All right, I should definitely do this." And then there's always been those weird explanations for eclipses. I actually I don't think it's the work of the devil. I, I still like to think that there's a giant out there in the sky, and he was just putting his thumb over the sun for a minute. <laughs> I, I like your side of the story better. Um, and thunder is, thunder is just God bowling. Yes, <laughs> no, finally <laughs> someone says that. No reason to yes. be afraid. All right. What so else? My, my second story is um, about more paranormal activity with the solar eclipse. Um, the Mutual UFO Network has been slammed with reports of people who filmed slash photographed or claimed to see UFOs while watching the, the eclipse this past week. Witnesses were sent in reports that saying that after taking pictures facing south towards the moon while the sun was completely covered, little black dots arrived next to it. Now, I have a photo. I'm sure it will be up later next time in the video you guys can see it i can post it on our facebook page but 
again, I'm not sure. I didn't get to see any part of it, the eclipse, because we were not allowed to go outside for my job. So, oh, that's just I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I work with little kids now, so like they're like, no, it's going to blind them, so I didn't get to see. But all these photos were taken in Nebraska. Nowhere else but Nebraska. Well, I mean, that was was that in the path of totality? Probably. It was kind of like across the middle of the country, like yeah. Okay, it was but, kind of like a like a from like the upper left down to the lower right mm-hmm. type of thing. By the way, while you were telling that story, I was totally trying to point because Matt put for those of you on the radio, you're missing out on this. You got to be watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and on YouTube and on our free Spooky South Coast app. But we have the picture-in-picture technology here, and I was trying to like point to you as it was going, and I definitely cannot. Like, look at the camera and figure out where to point based on that. So, that's on me. Well, you tried. That's all that it looks, matters. It looks like you're doing, like, a, uh, a hokey-pokey or something. Uh, I, well, well, hold on, hold on. Turn yourself around. That's there what it's all about. <laughs> Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. What? All right. We here. learned that in my class this week. Good job. <laughs> I just got it down <laughs> myself. So, uh, do, do you have another story to share with us? I do, and this one comes out from South Carolina. Um, The South Carolina residents were being warned that after the eclipse, they are needed to stay inside because it's going to draw out the energy of the lizard man. Although they're saying they don't know if the lizard man becomes more active during the solar eclipse, but they they want everyone to stay on high alert because they're unsure of what could happen. So if you know more information about this, please let us know in the comments below. If you experience anything weird before or during the eclipse... Let me know. I'm really interested in this whole situation. Um, for me, my sleep pattern was just thrown off a little bit. I'm waiting for something cool to happen. Still waiting and nothing's happening. So, yeah. And then make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter because we're always up to something. Well, absolutely. I, I do want to bring up one story uh, because this, this is something that was shared the other day. Uh, and I just want to get your thoughts. I don't know if you've seen yet, Ashley. I think, Matt, I think you posted it. Uh, I'm assuming you posted it because there was a shot at iPhones in the comments. Oh, yeah. So I assume that it was you because, you know, you and I are grown-ups and we have Android phones. (laughs) Uh, But there's this painting that's going around, uh, a painting from the 1930s, that shows a Native American gazing at a cell phone. I don't know if you've had a chance to see this picture yet. I I think Matt can probably bring it up uh, onto the screen. I should have given you a heads up that I was going to do this. But uh, it's a painting from the 1930s. That shows it's called Mr. Pinchon and the Settling of Springfield, and it depicts a meeting between English settlers and Native Americans in Massachusetts during the 17th century. And so the story was going around with, is this Native American looking at an iPhone? And Matt put up, no, he's looking at an Android. That's a gal- <laughs> Galaxy S8. You're just trying, yes, to get a, you're trying to get us a sponsorship. I did see deal. that. I'm, I'm just looking at it and trying to figure out, like, first of all, somebody could have taken that picture and modified it. But well, so, yeah, I and then again, I'm team iPhone, so well, that's your fault. But <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what else it could have been. Well, it could have been a number of things, you know, it could have been like them looking at a tool that they created, it could have been um, just a whole bunch of different things, you know, their fields, their crops, their boats. You have to think about what they were used to seeing back then. Well, there's which is what we're seeing now. There's one suggestion that it could be a mirror or a Bible, but it's small. I mean, it's it's the size of a cell phone. 
And, and it's holding it kind of and like... He, oh, he's, he's holding like, it? He's yes. not like looking like off? Like the thumb is on the screen or... Oh. No, I would, if oh, I could, well, I if I, I, I'd throw it, I have it on my screen, I'd throw it up if I could, but it's, uh, it's on another Paranormal Radio Show's website, so I don't want to, I don't want to give Coast to Coast AM any more props than they need. But, uh, you can, uh, first of all, it's, it's a Native American, like, sitting, it looks like he's sitting in a boat, like in a canoe, with some, some jugs, and looking into, into his phone. So, uh, I'm just going to assume, based on this, that, you know, they're having some sort of a party. And he's he's on the you know Native American version of Tinder, trying to find a hookup for after he drinks all these all these jugs of booze, and you know they're, they're going to fill the booze up the tub up with some booze, and you know they're looking for some some squaws to come on over, and you know whatever happens happens. I always like these like these pictures the, of like supposed time travelers, right? Because like I want to believe it's true, but it's probably not. It's probably not, but it's fun to it's fun to pretend that it is, right? And, um, I have a feeling that it's not a mirror. It might be a Bible. I say not a mirror because I don't feel like they had that type of materials back then for the you know Native Americans because they just lived off, off of well, what this, they had. No, this is something that because it's it's actually a meeting between the English and the Native Americans. So the English settlers are giving the item to oh, him right. and he's yeah. looking at it. So it you know it's it's something that they probably brought in. What I think nobody's well, pointing out about this painting though and are we did we were able to get it up on screen or can you not do it with um maybe next week we'll we'll go into the uh, adding pictures and stuff while we're going. Well, on. I was going to say do you want me to I could I could pick up the camera and point it at there but then you'd have to reset right. it. Do you want me to try and do that? Uh, I'm trying to find it hold on. Okay. Well, anyway, what, the thing that I, I want to know is why nobody else has pointed out the fact that right over this Native American that is staring at this cell phone, uh, they have John Cena tied up to a post for some reason. <laughs> like, it looks just like John Cena. And I'm wondering, first of all, like, why hasn't Super Cena busted out of being tied up to a post? Maybe because you know, nobody can see him. Nobody can see him. That's <laughs> that's what I was thinking. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to give the AA to, to the Native American using the phone. Anyway, you know, that's... We won't continue talking about a picture that uh, we can't see on radio anyway. But, uh, Ashley, thank you for joining us, and thank you for being our video guinea pig this week. No problem. Don't chew on that, Cody. You're going to electrocute yourself. Oh, God. Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, I want you to stop it. She's like, I'm on camera. <laughs> she's like, I didn't know I could. you could see me. I forgot. You thought you were John Cena. You can't see me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we will we'll try doing this again next week. Right, bye. Have a great night. That is uh, our paranormal news correspondent Ashley Turner and the wonders of of Skype. Pretty pretty amazing there, Matt. You figured it oh, out. It's fun, and I think it adds a new element for the people that are watching on Spooky TV. Right. Hopefully, we can uh, kind of iron out the kinks and uh, do it a little uh, smoother. I thought that was pretty smooth. smooth. Yeah, yeah. I think it could be jazzier. Except now I can see you in my Skype window. Huh. So I might, I might, uh, I might just cut that call, just because it's weirding me out. Yeah. There we go. Weirds me out to see you in two different places. By the way, why does Skype have the worst notifications? And they haven't changed them at it's all. It's terrible. Like we've been using Skype for like a decade now, right? And it's still the same stupid sounds. Like they still haven't, they still haven't made the adjustments there. So anyway, this is this is a test run running that video that we're going to try and incorporate that you were saying more and more with guests. Mm-hmm. So that they can actually be seen on the screen. 
while we're interviewing them instead of just having it be... Did you just hit your keys, by the way? I thought I just saw the lights flash on your car. I might have. Okay. Might've. All right. Is that or somebody's breaking into your car? Well, you know, I just I, I keep an eye out the window to see what's going on. So the idea is that, you know, we can have the guests actually be a visual part of the show instead of just having to throw up photos of them all the time because sometimes there's some weird pictures that they send. Right. Exactly. It's happened recently. Right. So, uh, and again, we'll be joined in just a bit by our guest, uh, John David Miller. We'll be talking about the Seibold effect, beyond science, history, ghosts, and the Appalachian supernatural. Uh, But I do want to ask you, Matt, you you had mentioned there about wanting to believe that these time travel things are possible. And mm-hmm. We see all these goofy things like, uh, you know, does this Civil War soldier look like John Travolta? And, right, like, the, the Nicholas Cage Nicholas Cage. Cage and, yeah, uh, there's, yeah. uh, who else was there? Keanu Reeves, I think, yeah. has one. So, like, those are kind of just like, okay, it's coincidental that these people kind of look right. alike. I mean, but, I think that's a, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a phenomenon, but, I mean, there are, like, doppelgangers. They, they apparently you know? lost sound on the video as soon as Ashley hung up. On, on Spooky TV. Oh, no. So, I, I, should I not ask you questions while you figure that out? Hmm, maybe. All right. You figure that out. But I've, uh, you know, like Matt said, I've always wanted to think that these time travel things are possible. I've always wanted to think that we will eventually figure out how to do that. I actually thought that for a while I was kind of subscribing to the theory that perhaps... UFOs and, and alien visitors were future people coming back because they do, they're humanoid. And if you follow the progression of how people have changed over millennia, you know, maybe we would eventually look like that as we had less and less of a, of a need to have hair on our bodies if the earth is indeed getting warmer. And, you know, maybe we would all kind of be thinner and. Maybe we would have. Maybe our eyes would become bigger as we spend more time in the dark. Maybe our eyes would, you know, uh, more more time staring at devices and computer screens. Maybe oh. our eyes will get bigger and almond shaped and Thanks. completely void of. Oh, like we're we're that's aliens are our future. That's you know I used to think about yeah. that. I used to think about that as a possibility, but it's possible. So uh, my assumption being is that at some point, you know, if time travel was possible, we would figure it out. Mm-hmm. If it's possible, we'd be we'll, fatter. You think so? It would be more like in WALL-E, where everybody was just fat maybe. on a big floating like, ship? More like, e- like kind of maybe E.T.-ish, where we're just like big waddling poops. <laughs> we, we kind of already are. Yeah. But uh, at least I am. But uh, the if, if time travel is possible, if it is capable of happening, we will eventually figure it out. And, you know, I always thought the simplest idea was the Superman theory. If you just fly backwards fast enough, you're just going to go back in time a day. Like, if there was a way to actually take the Earth and spin it the opposite way, you would be going backward in time. Now, that doesn't mean that you'd be reliving what happened in time. It just would mean that time is going backwards. But I think that if that's possible in a way of being manipulated... Let me see if I can explain this. The way I hear it in my brain and and make it make sense out of my mouth. If you're able to manipulate time physically in that way, then why can't you take the representations of what happened and do it? Because think about this. We're at a point now where almost every moment of every day is captured on film somewhere. 
Right. We're at a point where virtual reality is getting to the point where it's indistinguishable from actual reality. Mm-hmm. So, I, have you seen the the, um, the things that they're doing with AR? It's crazy. What? what well, in general, or is it something new? Well, it's, it's kind of like the like virtual reality, except right. it blends what's really going on with a virtual world. Like the the and, guy, but it's 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 very seamless, or it seems very seamless. Like the guy who made the uh, AR version of uh, Super Mario Brothers on an actual yeah, it's, like an actual walkway in a park. Right, that's the future. So if, if you have all these ways of creating it, like we could recreate history, not obviously going back to previous mm-hmm. to when we had all these cameras, but, you know, 50 years from now, we might be able to create an entire... Assassin's Creed. We can create an entire VR version of where we are now, and people will be able to go back and do it. And I think that's probably what we're going to get for time travel. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're ever going to be able to physically move ourselves back in time to another period or anything before a time when it was recorded, but I mm-hmm. think we'll be able to create a, an experience, a virtual experience, in which we can actually go back and see things. So instead of just watching a movie about what happened in 2020, uh, you know, school kids of 2080 will actually get to be immersed in 2020. Right. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can wrap my head around uh, time travel in the hole, but I think um, the possibilities behind it, I think you can only go backwards. You can never go forward. You sound, it's very uh, Dr. Sam Beckett. Yeah, yeah. So that that is pretty much my time travel guru. When people ask me to explain quantum physics to them and, and, and time travel and string theory, I literally do the Sam Beckett. <laughs> like I just take a string. See, time is a string. But instead of being a straight line, it's a ball. Mm-hmm. You know, like I actually do that whole thing. So, all right, I'll ask you this question then because it looks like the audio is back up and running on Spooky TV. Time travel is possible only into the past. Where do you go? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I like. I don't want to go. Like, how long would it would it be? This, like, what, am I going to go back and like live the rest of my days? No, no. This is or a, just like go and like have a vacation. This is. Uh, it's more of a. It's an observer position. Mm-hmm. So you are there, but you are not physically interacting with the environment. Because I would not want to see if time travel is possible. Like, like uh, it'd be like Jacob Marley, or yeah, uh, yeah, like uh, like Ebenezer because, Scrooge. Yeah, yeah Ebenezer. when he, it would be something like that. Because I, if time travel was possible, I would not want it to be something people could go back and actually affect. Mm-hmm. I'd want it to be on an observational basis. So for the sake of this argument, you can only go back and, and observe things, but observe things in real time and in first hand in the way that they actually happen. So you are there, but just you have no influence over the events that are happening. I probably want to go maybe uh, look, see some see some battles or some wars that were good. I look at I look at this like idea of, Kong. I look at this idea of time travel as like a husband going clothes shopping with the wife when she has to try on clothes. Mm-hmm. Like you're just there watching and nothing that you do will make a difference. <laughs> like <laughs> what if I step on a butterfly? So <laughs> but well that's the thing is like you can't physically manipulate your environment. So we can eliminate all those questions. Mm-hmm. Like you can't kill Hitler. So like you can only go back and watch. And so with that in mind, so you want to go back and see, like, famous battles and, and what happened. That'd be kind of cool, yeah. Would you want to go back to the beginning and, and kind of... To see where it all happened? Yeah. I don't know. I remember that um, Star Trek episode, and it seemed very uneventful. I, I think that I'd like to go and see what happened, and I'd like to go and see, you know, 
it's hard because you're not going to be able to like pinpoint a moment in evolution mm-hmm. because it happened over time. But I, I guess if you have this ability, you can go back to whatever you. There's a question about a piece of history. You could go back, so you could go back to the JFK assassination mm-hmm. and see what happened. See it with your own eyes. That would be one of my major right. points that I'd want to go back to. You go to Roswell and see the mm-hmm. whatever was crashed. Whatever crashed, you could see it actually happen. And what if you had the ability to go back, but you could only go back to where you are mm-hmm. physically in space? So if you're sitting here in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, at the WBSM Spooky Studio, and now you're going to go back in time to 1850, mm-hmm. but you're going to be in that spot. All right, let, uh, keep it keep it with the, the JFK assassination. You can time travel back from where you're sitting right now, from this current date, of August 26, 2017, you can go back to November 22, 1963, but you're still sitting in this space. You have to do the work to get from where you are to Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. to go and see what happened. Would you do it? Or would you just be like, ah, If I know, know what's going to happen. But but I would still not be able to interact. Right. You can't interact. So I just kind of like, I would just have to travel you're, as a ghost. You basically have basically. to walk from here to Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Are we going into the territory? Like ghost territory, explaining ghosts. Is this what happens? They're just time travelers. Maybe, is this the cyborg effect? Maybe. We'll find out. No, but I'm just trying to see. Like, if 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 it, if it wasn't a matter of instantaneously, I think I, I think I would. Like, if you couldn't Although, instantaneously be transported to the place that you wanted to see, would I it mean, still be worth I, the effort? If I can't interact with anything, then I can't uh, drive a car. So that's out. So I'm gonna have to walk. Right. To I guess. Texas. <laughs> All right. Let's throw that in. Let's throw that that out. <laughs> That just makes it more difficult. Uh, Ashley had a great point in the chat room. It would be kind of cool to uh, go back to here in the studio and see, like, the live broadcast of them reporting on it. Well, they wouldn't have been here. Well, or wherever. You could could probably walk from here to New Bedford. That wouldn't be too much of a pain. It's only a few miles down across Mm -hmm. the bridge. It was the same bridge back then, I'm sure. So (laughs) That bridge is, like, over 100 years old. What did Ashley say? Uh, she said she would go back to uh, the day that the Bordens were murdered. Oh, that's a good, yeah. And see if Borden did it. Yeah, so that's, that, there you go. Go back to OJ. See if OJ actually did anything. I, I, if you had to live somewhere, though, if if you went back to your original point of, like, you could spend, right. like, a vacation, like, a week in a time period, what time period would you want to spend a week living in? Um, a w- Only a week? Yeah, sure. Probably 1800s. Like, like... Like old west. Well, that's I'd af- go to the after this. Probably after the Civil War, maybe. I think that would be kind of a cool time to live. I I, I want to go to the old west. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely one hundred percent. Like when they were start, um, when when they would start started introducing cars and things, and there was a lot of like industrial technology. Yeah, dur- yeah, during the yeah. industrial revolution. And would you want to go back to colonial times at all? Um, I I don't speak English too good, so. <laughs> I think uh, people will call me out and be like, "Where are you from?" Right, really quickly, very quickly. I, I, I do, I do want to kind. Of, I've always said that I kind of would love to go back in time, where we live, mm-hmm. and just see what it was like, you know, four hundred years ago here. Mm-hmm. Like I'd like to see that with my own eyes, just to be like, you oh, find the wampum belt. That would be that would be huge, to find King Philip's wampum belt, but to just be able to like see. 
the landscape that I'm so familiar with and what it would have looked like then. Hmm. Because I try to picture it in my head when I'm reading about it, and, and I read a lot about it, uh, especially like Nathaniel Philbrick books. I've read a lot of those. And as you're reading it, like you're trying to picture in your head, and they're like, oh, they walked, you know, they walked from Wareham to Mattapoisett. And you're like, well, that's not that long of a walk, but they didn't have Route 6 then. Right. So right. it might have been a long walk because you're I mean, going through the woods. I mean, I get amazed. I think there was a, a video that I found of someone videotaped Route 6. Now that you mentioned it, it popped in my head. Somebody videotaped Route 6 from like 1987. Really? And like I was like blown away. I was like, oh my God. Like just driving I'm like, down look, Route 6? I'm like, look at that McDonald's. <laughs> Really? I'm, I'm totally going to YouTube right now. I'm looking this up. <laughs> As the show comes to a... I think it's Fairhaven. I think that's what it was. I'm, I, I don't know what the title of the name of the video is. And it could not even be a like... drive on Route 6 in Fairhaven in 1985. Oh, I just found it. So, uh, wow. Oh, jeez. Oh, it's it's, it's trip da- a trip down memory, memory lane that like, you, don't, you don't really remember anyway. A and W, although the sign's still the same for where uh, Friendly's is. Mm-hmm. They still have that same thing there. <laughs> this is cool. I'm just going to leave this up in the back in the background. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of, like... uh tweet it, tweet it out, and then people can actually watch it. That's a good point. So I don't... I, I suppose I could bring it up on the stream. I'm going to put it right now into the uh, into the chat room. It's almost like if we had somebody that was here on the show that was just putting stuff in the chat room during the show. <laughs> or putting stuff on social media. We should we should time travel to a point where we can do that. Right. By the way, thank you to all the uh, spooky South Coast listeners that are choosing this over uh, the Conor McGregor fight. Right. Which, uh, I mean, it happens at midnight anyway, but... Is it? I thought it was just after 11, sometime after 11 that they would fight. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm, uh, I'm putting up the video right now so people can follow along with it. So now you can see it in the chat room and uh, on on the Spooky South Coast Twitter feed if you want to check it out for yourself. But, yeah. Oh, Kmart. Remember when there was a Kmart? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there was a Kmart there like up until like three months ago. Oh, yeah, there's the, there's the McDonald's the way that it used to look. Yeah. It's weird because there, were, there was a lot more trees. There was, And there was a lot more lighted up signs. Hmm. Oh, that 7-Eleven was a Christie's? <laughs> this, this is great radio because I'm, total, <laughs> I'm totally, like, paying attention to this instead right. of actually... And, like, all the old cars, and they're just so, like, boxy. It's freaky because, like, right now we're driving by where the station is. Oh, yeah. Oh, Almax. Say, yeah. yeah, Almax. See, Star I Store. There was a Star Store here? Was the Bijou Theater right over... Bowler's over, Country over Club. Yonder? Was that the, a theater? The, the Bijou was uh, downtown. Uh, you know, like down Main Street. Oh, okay. Where they like? Do they have a bowling Oxford, alley or something over here? Across, where Stop and Shop is was Bowlers Country Club, and then where Scramblers oh. is in this plaza was Pockets. So right. this is where you came on a Friday night when I was in high school, and you said, even though you know we were in high school at the same time, but this is where you came, and you said, hmm, are "We going to Bowlers Country Club or are we going to Pockets? Well, let's go to both." And uh, actually, I'm sorry, Pockets is where Cardozas is now. Yeah. And where Scramblers is. But Pockets used to be at the dirty, where the dirty video store is. Was that where it was? It was in the dirty video store yeah. store? <laughs> but you know, do you know what was down the other end, though? Where Scramblers uh, strawberries. is? Strawberries. Strawberries. Oh, yeah, good old strawberries. Who remembers strawberries? That's That was like the record store. 
You could get your tickets yeah, there had, for um, concerts. My, I think my first time there, I had uh, my mom gave me like ten dollars or twelve dollars or something, and she gave me a choice. Well, she said you can buy whatever you want. She mm-hmm. was very open to my musical exploration at the time. And I had, uh, in my hand, I had, like, the Great Malenko. I don't know if I was 10. <laughs> I had the Great Malenko, and I had Weird Al's, uh, uh, smells like, uh... Oh, uh, um, the name of the album was, uh, it was, the, it was Smells Like Nirvana was the song, Off the Deep End. Off was the Deep the End, yeah. Yes. And I had those two, and I was, like, in the store for, like, 20 minutes trying to figure it out. I can beat that. And, and I, I, I went with Weird Al. I can beat that. Very similar story. <laughs> What's that? I was about 10 years old, and I'm at the Brockton uh, Bradleys. I had $10 of, I don't know, maybe birthday money or from helping out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing in the tape section of Bradleys. And this is, you know, and when you went into the stores back then to buy your cassette tapes, they had those long, stupid plastic oh, yeah, things yeah. on them to put them into the shelves. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm holding in one hand, I have the Beatles Sgt. Pepper. And in the other hand, I have Weird Al Yankovic's Even Worse. It's always Weird Al. <laughs> and I'm like, which do I go with? Do I go with the Beatles or do I go with Weird Al? And mm-hmm. I went with Weird Al. And uh, that's nice choice. It's a nice I, choice. I, I went and I told my aunt the story, and she ended up uh, dubbing me a tape of Sgt. Pepper mm-hmm. anyway. So There's always that choice. Like, you always have that two, the A or B, when you're over in a, a music store. Right. And you're, you're like, you don't have enough money for both. Right, right. The best is when you would, I, you would want something and you'd find it under the uh, the section of cheap tapes that all said the nice price. Remember those? <laughs> yeah. That was when you were doing good. When you found yeah. like Don McLean's American Pie and it was like four ninety nine. You're like, yes, I can get two tapes. But I think um, I think I got a nice price with um, it was um, Megadeth's uh, Peace Sells, but who's buying? Oh yeah, or, yeah. and. Um, Iron Maiden's uh, Somewhere in Time. Because that's what they would do is when the new yeah. stuff would come out. I like, got both of those at the same time. Drove my downstairs neighbor crazy. That's Those are two great albums. But it was worth it. Yeah. It was worth it. The, um, that, I mean, in those days, like if somebody came out with something new, you would always find you know their previous stuff hmm. like in the nice price area. So like, yeah, you would go and get your, you know, your brand new Metallica. When they just came out with the black album, and everybody's running out and buying that, and then over there on the nice price is like Master of Puppets and mm-hmm. Ride the Lightning and all that stuff. And these days, like everything's going to cost you the same price. You know, it's it's a dollar for a song or ten dollars for an album, whatever it is. So you don't have the same. I mean, they put stuff on sale, but you don't have that same thrill of finding the bargain. Right. Like that you used to find. Like when everybody would be into a band and be like, yeah, yeah. But have you ever heard Bon Jovi's first album? And then you pull it out, and everybody's like, oh, that's great. And you only paid five bucks for it. So, <laughs> And, of course, the best part of, of the 80s was, like, you, you and your friends never had to buy the same albums because you could just dub them all off each other. Right. And I remember up the until, days of... Up until it got to the that... Napster point. This has nothing to do with paranormal stuff any, anyway. No, well, this we, is just, this we, is we just reminiscing. We did this last week, too. Right. We will have some paranormal talk coming up. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that I remember is that I didn't have a, a, a tape deck that had the dual cassette. Did you ever have that problem? What was that? Having a cassette player recorder that was only the single deck. Oh, yeah. So you couldn't, like, dub something from somebody right, else. So you had to do it with the microphone. No, see, I didn't even have the microphone. Oh. I would just put the two single deck 
things right up oh, next yeah. to each other. And then you got to like kind of adjust the volume, which is probably why we're such sound nerds now. It's because <laughs> like we had to learn on crap like that. Right. And uh, and if I had known that there was such a thing back then as a patch cord, like it would have changed my whole life. Right. I didn't get my first CD player until I was like 16 years old. Well, I was 15. It was like two weeks before yeah, my 16th birthday. I think it was birthday. like in eighth grade or something. Which, so it was probably around the same time. Which yeah. people are like, what? What's a CD? <laughs> people are listening are like, right? what? are those those little round things that all the hipsters buy? No, is those it, are, is those it are weird? Are, like people don't, albums. people don't use their CD player enough in their car now that they have like a cell phone thing. So you can like just stick your cell phone like in the slot, like it, it, it holds it. You know what I mean? There's a thing to put a cell yeah, it's phone. Like, there's well, a holder that goes in your CD player. It's like a it's like a disc, and then it has like a little arm that comes out of it. So you're basically like totally not using oh, the CD slot for what it's. That'd be for. way better than the one that I use in my car now, coming out of the cigarette lighter. Hmm. Hmm. It just it just goes to show you how like passe that technology is that. They're just like, eh, we're just going to stick a phone there now. Well, it, it used to be that you used your cassette player to have the little li- little line that would come out that you'd plug into your right. CD player. Like, my first... They still sell those. My first ability to play CDs in a car was a Discman that I Velcroed to my dashboard. <laughs> yeah. you, you were there yep. when I did yep. it because it, I think you actually helped me lay the Velcro out because if I just put it up there, it would slide around and skip. So I had to, I had to actually Velcro it so it would stay... Straight in the spot, stay, stay right in the spot, and not skip. And and I remember buying that disc man for a hundred dollars at uh, at Leechmere. Oh, yeah, I bought some of was, my graduation was, money. I think that was my first big purchase. I think I I bought a uh, Sony Walkman, and it also played metal tapes. Metal tapes, like me- Sony made metal. Uh, like instead of like the the vinyl, or I don't know if it was like vinyl or whatever tape, but it was actually made of metal. Oh wow! It was supposed to sound better. It was Did supposed it? to be like um, I couldn't afford to buy anything on the metal tape. It's like when I was going to, but I had the ability to do so. It's like when I was going to start buying DVD audio for everything, and I bought like one. <laughs> I was like, it was twenty bucks. I'm never buying another one. I have, right. t- I have two. I have Fleetwood Mac Rumors, and I have uh, the they Who's. Good, I have the Who's Tommy. It does sound phenomenal, and a surround sound system. Oh my god! But, uh, yeah, so we will be talking about the paranormal coming up in the next hour. We absolutely will be. I will be joined by our guest, uh, Mr. John David Miller. We'll be talking about the Seibold Effect, Beyond Science, History, Ghosts, and the Appalachian Supernatural. So we'll be talking about that coming up in the next hour. Uh, We do want to let everybody know that we have, I think there's eight or nine tickets left for our Lizzie Borden event that's happening on September 23rd. It's called Lizzie's Axe to Fall, and it's going to be a mixture of old school and new school new school technology for ghost hunting. And as we announced last week, we have two special guests that will be there at that event. It's going to be Stephanie and myself hosting the event. And uh, also joining us that night will be Ty Gowan of Haunt Me, uh, who you've heard on the show here recently, and also Porter from Haunted Towns will be there as well, and from Ghost Asylum, from the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. They'll both be coming just to hang out, and uh, they'll take part in the investigation. It should be a fun night. As I mentioned, eight, nine tickets left, I think, which you can get at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you go right now, they will be gone very shortly, so don't wait too long if you plan on joining us for that event. Uh, But uh, I also want to thank everybody that tunes in to Haunted Towns each week. We have the Salem episode that aired last week. This week coming up is Savannah. The team will be heading to Savannah, Georgia, to investigate some of the hauntings there. 
And then I think I heard that the next episode will be Bisbee, Arizona. And then they're still trying to shake out the rest of the air schedule for that. But it's on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. on Destination America. You can also catch it on DestinationAmerica.com and on On Demand and on the Destination America Go app. I don't know if you're familiar with those Go apps, Matt. All the networks are doing them now. Oh, yeah. So you can, uh, you can check that out. And they put up extra bonus video footage during the week as well. So there's always cool stuff to check out there. But thank you, everybody, that's been watching it and live-tweeting during it and you know letting the network know how much you're enjoying it. We have a lot more stories that we want to tell, so hopefully we'll get a chance to get out there and tell some more. I think that's uh, the end of the promotional portion of the show. I think we've plugged what we right. have to plug. Yeah, it's a good show, by the way. Haunted Towns? You watched yeah, it? I watched the, uh, yeah, the first episode last night. Oh. Well, it's excellent. Thank you. You don't usually watch ghost shows. I know. I appreciate it's that. Fun. He's like, I didn't watch it for you. I watched it for Porter. <laughs> But uh, that's that's fine. <laughs> but uh, again, thank you everybody that's been tuning in and, and saying all all the kind words about it. Oh, and one thing I will say too, by the way, coming up in October, we're going to be having the next House of Bricks wrestling show, and I need the Spooky South Coast audience to show up for this thing because I want to make sure that Michael Foster doesn't try to show up again. Right, I heard uh, some, some stuff went down last night. Yeah, I'll talk about that coming back up uh, after the news. I'll just give the word about that. I mean, I, I am doing a little bit better. Uh, my head's still a little bit ringing, and, and, and my uh, my neck's still a little bit stiff. But I'll let you know what happened there last night uh, coming up following the news. And then we'll also be joined by our guest, John David Miller, to talk about his book, The Cybold Effect, Beyond Science, History, Ghosts, and the Appalachian Supernatural. So we're going to talk about all that and more coming up in the next hour of Spooky South Coast. Don't go anywhere because it's going to get really strange, really weird, and actually we'll talk about the paranormal, which we haven't been doing for the last few minutes. Asylum Assassin Matt Costa, again, Science Advisor Matt Moniz and Stephanie Burke, both off tonight, and we'll be joined by our guest John David Miller in just a moment, but I do want to address the situation that happened at House of Bricks, Brickiversary. For those of you who don't know, I am the uh, ring announcer for a local wrestling organization that puts on shows that benefit local charities and, and children's organizations, and so as the ring announcer, you know, I... Sometimes you get kind of in the mix of things a little bit. Uh, I try not to, but wrestlers and managers tend to get up in my face sometimes because I don't like the way I'm announcing things. And So last night at Brickiversary, the former heavyweight champion, the Thunder from Down Under, Michael Foster, was participating in a triple threat match along with Chris Cruz and the current House of Bricks heavyweight champion, the outlaw moonshiner, J.B. Tickle. And the... Uh, Thunder from Down Under comes out first. Uh, Michael Foster came out first, and he got a little upset with the fact that I did not announce him as the champion. But why would I announce him as the champion 
when he lost the championship a couple of months ago to J.B. Tickle. So I said, I didn't announce you as the champion because you're not the champion. And he's had some words with me, and you know we had a little bit of a stare down in the ring, but he went to his corner, and I announced the other two competitors in the match. Uh, but he just kept giving me all kinds of crap. So the people, the fans of House of Bricks, they always refer to him as a nugget. That's their derogatory nickname for him, and they will chant nugget while he's wrestling. Well, he got under my skin last night, and perhaps it wasn't the most professional thing for me to do. I kept the chance of Nugget going throughout the match. And because I have a live mic in my pocket, I took full advantage of that. And I was going around the, the arena, and I was interviewing the kids and being like, so what do you think of this guy? He's a Nugget! And I'd walk over and be like, hey kids, chant Nugget into the microphone. And I just kept it going. And and, uh, and TJ Richter, the referee for the match, was turning around telling me, like, Tim, what are you doing? Like, you're asking for trouble. And I said, ah, don't worry about me. So, in the ring afterwards, uh, I, I guess... You know, Michael Foster took a cheap shot at uh, at, uh, at JB Tickle, and he was down on the ground. And then Tickle and Cruz—I mean, uh, Foster and Cruz were outside. There was a double countout for them, which I don't know how you have a double countout in a triple threat match. But anyway, so you know, all the stuff's going down. I get in the ring. I announce JB Tickle as the winner. Foster gets all up in my face again. So I get the crowd to chant Nugget, and and when I turn my back on him in the ring. He nails me in the back of the head, takes me down, proceeds to start stomping on my head, drops the knee on my head a couple of times, kicking me while I'm down, and just basically lays a beat down on me. Uh, to the point where, you know, the, the officials had to come into the ring and, and stop him and hold him back. And now Brickhouse Baker, who is the owner of House of Bricks Wrestling, he's usually working the camera uh, around the ring, and he never exercises any kind of authority. As the owner, you know, he tries to stay out of it and say, you know, I have a commissioner in John Cena Sr. I let him handle the way that things are run. I'm just the owner of the company and I don't really get involved in things. But he actually got up into the ring, uh, started chewing out Michael Foster for what he did and suspended him indefinitely. So Michael Foster is indefinitely suspended from House of Bricks Wrestling. He will not get another chance to try and compete for that title. I'm going to talk to Commissioner Cena, and I'm going to see if we can get him banned for life. Because although I was asking for it a little bit, like, to sneak attack me when my back is turned, if you want to have words with me to my face, and you want to start some trouble with me face-to-face, I'm fine with that. And, like I said, I probably deserve it a little bit. But that's the way that you handle business, face-to-face. You don't attack somebody from behind, and then proceed to kick them while they're down. You want to fight me, you fight me one-on-one, you fight, and it doesn't even have to be in the ring. I'm not a wrestler. You want to settle it? We'll settle it in the back. We'll settle it outside. But it was just a, a cowardly act on his part, and I, I'm through with it. I'm through with him picking on me. This is a guy that always cheats to win, even when he had the title. He was always cheating to keep the belt. He's always telling me what to say in the ring, and I've just I've had enough. So for those of you who were showing concern on my Facebook post that I put up last night when I got back from the show, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better. But uh, we'll see. I think I think I'll, I won't feel 100% until uh, I can find out for sure that, you know, Michael Foster's not going to be causing any problems for anybody else in House of Bricks for the rest of his career. So there you go. That's just a little bit of an update on that for those who have been asking. And uh, I want to thank our guests for being patient while I talked about wrestling because this is a paranormal show, which we've talked about pretty much everything but that to this point tonight. 
But we'll change that right now because Dave Miller spent every summer as a child playing in the caves surrounding Greenville, West Virginia, deep in the Appalachian Mountains. This started a lifelong coincidences that one day would draw him back to the very place where he started his adventure, and this life journey would prepare him for somewhat for what he would find one day buried on the side of the mountain that contains the graves of his ancestors. Dave has been a contributor to Smithsonian Magazine, AncientOrigins.net, and Paranormal Underground Magazine, and he joins us now tonight on the phone. John David Miller, he goes by Dave. Let's bring him on right now. There you are. You with us, Dave? I sure am. All Thanks right. For having me. Thank you, uh, thank you for joining us, and thank you for listening while I uh, got that off my chest about uh, what went on in the ring. Uh, I hope you're doing okay now. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm doing a little bit better. It's uh, you know, like I said, if 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 my back hadn't been turned, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But when you catch somebody off guard like that, sure. So I want to ask you a, a, a question now. Uh, for people who are not familiar, and I have an idea because you know I I, I know a little bit about. Geography, but for those who are unfamiliar, give us an idea of what the Appalachian region is like from the perspective of somebody who lives there. I mean, uh, you know, we we see shows where they talk about like you know mountain people, mountain monsters, all these things. <laughs> we have an idea of like the glamorized version of of living in Appalachia, but you know, it's not like you're cut off from the rest of the world like they try to portray it on TV. Well, the Appalachian Mountains are some of the oldest mountains in the world. And uh, people don't realize that. Uh, they actually were at one time the height of the Alps, and they, wore, they were worn down to a flat plain. And then, then they were built back up in the mountain building uh, process again to the same height of the, as the Alps, like 13,000, 14,000 feet. And they, then they wore down again to what they are today. And people don't realize that they, they, th- they think they're, not as high mountains, so they're not as old, but it's not the, not the truth. And the property that the book's about um, is near the New River. And the New River, uh, ironically called the New River, is the second oldest river in the world. And people don't realize that either, so it's a very prehistoric place. Um, now, the Appalachian Mountains uh, could be 650 million years old. Whereas the uh, mountains in Peru, uh, the Andes, uh, maybe are only 25 million years old. Yet the mountains in Peru, all kinds of ancient civilizations have been found there where none have been found in the Appalachian Mountains. And my theory on that is just because the mountains are so old that anything there uh, has turned to dust, basically. Um, Anything left now, it has to be made of stone, and uh, uh, apparently um, none has, nothing has been found until now into the Appalachian Mountains. But the Appalachian Mountains are very prehistoric, and uh, uh, that plays a large role and a large part in the book that I wrote. So as much as you want to say you know when uh, you know when the area was quote unquote settled and when we say settled we mean by you know the the european settlers that came and but when you look back at it you know this is an area that has a long history that predates probably even the native civilizations that are in the area and so this power has been growing this this vortex of strangeness has been growing for millennia correct <laughs> Uh, right. In fact, uh, my ancestors, who were the first 
European settlers in the area, they settled the uh, settled around the New River, around the Horseshoe area of the New River, and they they were the founding fathers of the New River German settlement. And when they 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 came in there, they were the first settlers in the area, and they picked out the property that I now own as a mill site. And it just so happens that that mill site sits in in, in the um, passage of the mountains, uh, the only uh, passageway east and west through the Appalachian Mountains at that place. So this this property I now own was an ancient migration route, and it turned into an Indian trail, and then the uh, the European settlers came in and settled it, uh, and it became a mod- modern roads are in there today but it's uh, it's it's amazing it's amazing that our his the history of european settlers only goes back 200 years uh, or uh, my, my uh ancestors settled the area around 1740 and but at that time there were numerous indian tribes throughout virginia and um uh, of course uh, when, my, when my when my ancestors settled there, they became uh, they, the place that I now own is also the sacred hunting grounds of the Cherokee Indians, hmm. and that also plays a big role in the story. Well, and, and you've mentioned a few times the, the property that you now own, but even that you came about that in kind of a, or at least became connected to it in a very strange way. Uh, correct. That and that's the premise for the whole story. I was in uh, I was on a dive trip in Papua New Guinea. Uh, actually, I was on a, on a uh, dive boat uh, floating in the Coral Sea, and I got a satellite phone call from a real estate agent that I was working with because my girlfriend at the time was going to vet school at Virginia Tech, and we were in the market for a place for her to live. So, And that just so happens I was in Papua New Guinea, and I had got a satellite phone call from the real estate agent, and he had found a property uh, near Blacksburg, near Virginia Tech, um, that came on the market that day, and there were three other offers on the property. Um, and, of course, it was in my price range, and I knew that if everybody else wanted the property, it must be a decent piece of property. I knew nothing else about the property whatsoever. So I offered $1,000 over the asking price for the property on the satellite phone. And uh, by the time I got back into the United States, I was the owner of the property. Wow. And, and uh, I was once, say. once I got the property, uh, I was examining the plat of the property for an insurance question and discovered my mother's maiden name scribbled on the bottom corner of the plat of the property, uh, which is Seibold which is a very unusual name. So just just st- taking a step back, I mean, that's a very strange thing to have happen. But even before that, when you're just making the initial offer and, and, and offering over the asking price, was that because of just how, you know, it was fitting what you were looking for and obviously you realized other people wanted it and you had to be proactive to get it? Or was there something inside of you telling you, like, no, we definitely have to have this piece of property? Uh, something inside of me told me to make an offer on the property and, and, and go after it um, uh, immediately when it became available. I really didn't know the, the, the full story about the other offers and that sort of thing um, until a little bit later. Uh, but it was it was something, it was like it was meant to be that I was supposed to have this property. And so I immediately offered the $1,000 over the asking price without even thinking twice about it. And so then, as you said, you know, you mentioned your mother's maiden name. And... 
was it one of those things where when it first happens, I mean, as you said, it's not a common name, Cybold, but were you kind of like, oh, that's a weird coincidence, or did you know that there was a deeper connection even in that moment? Uh, in fact, uh, the first time I walked up onto the property, this, pl- this place is, is the most amazing. Uh, I've traveled all over the world, and I've never seen a place as beautiful as this. This, this property was a mill site. And the house that I just bought was was uh, built for the mill manager. So this house overlooks a creek and dam and three mountains. The water going over the dam uh, sounds like you're at the ocean when you're on the front porch, but you're, you're in the middle of the mountains. And the mill is no longer there. It burnt, burnt down in the 60s, but the creek and dam are still there. So so the first time I walked up on the property and walked up on the front front porch, uh, I had chill bumps going up and down my spine, and at that moment, I knew that I was brought to this place for a reason. And this was before I found out about my mother's maiden name. Hmm. So then, obviously, you know, you're feeling this connection. You're feeling like something's uh, drawing you to that. But was there a feeling that the, it could have been the property itself that had this? this power on you, or, that there, or was it kind of just more like, uh, you know, fate kind of guiding you in the right direction? It was more of energy uh, emanating from the property. It was, it was, it, it, it actually, I could, it was, it was like my body was a tuning fork, <laughs> and uh, it, it started vibrating uh, at that harmonic level <laughs> that, 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 that was definitely drew my attention, and I knew it was very special at that point. Um, but it was more for, uh, the, of the energy that I was feeling from the from the standing there on the front porch looking over the area. So then just what, what happens from that point on where, you know, you're feeling this there. How do you start to realize that you want to get to the bottom of, of what this feeling is? I mean, a lot of people would kind of just feel that and just take it at face value and, and say, okay, there's definitely some sort of power here. But you were determined to figure out exactly why that was. Uh, true, true, and, I, and I've traveled all over the world, and I, uh, I, I uh, love to go to ancient civilizations and, and just very, very energetic places uh, uh, on Earth, and that's the same feeling I got at that point. And so, so, um, so that was before before I found out I'm, uh, I saw my mother's maiden name. Uh, after I found my mother's maiden name. I immediately started. Now, now I had, I did have, knew, know that I had family in the area because uh, I grew up in West, uh, spending every summer in Greenville, West Virginia, which is only about thirty miles from the crow flies from this place. And Greenville, West Virginia, both of my grandparents on both sides lived across the street from each other, and I used to spend the summers uh, staying with them. But the surrounding Greenville is an extensive cave system called the Saltpeter Cave System. And as a, as a small kid, I would play in these caves all day long, every day in, during the summer. And at that, and, and playing in those caves, I got the same goosebumps uh, down my spine as I did the, the, the day I walked up on that porch on, in the mountains. And so, I, that, and, and so, again, I knew something very special was going on. 
So getting those feelings in the caves, but did, did you ever have any experiences that you would consider paranormal in those caves? Anything that was... Uh, uh, not being able to identify what they were, sure. Uh, just just the... I, I always thought that I could feel energy. I could feel energy emanating from uh, it, what it seemed like at the time inanimate objects, like the, like the caves, like the rocks, the stone, the springs, the water, uh, that sort of thing. I always felt the energy. Uh, in special places, and so I, and I definitely felt it there. And when you do feel that, I mean, some people just become attuned to that. So, kind of picking up on those energies, being young and, and playing in those caves and being in that area as a young person, as you're exploring the world, as you get older, you know, you're probably able to tap into when you feel those same uh, frequencies and vibrations in other places more so than just uh, I, other people that I, are there. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, and I would, and when I traveled, every I would always would search for those that that feeling that 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 feeling that I would get at these special places, but but I didn't really know what it was. I I, I knew <laughs> it sounds kind of like egotistical, but I always felt special. <laughs> I felt like I was different and unique, more uh, and unique from everybody else because I experienced, You know, who else as a kid plays in the cave? You know, has, plays in their own cave system. <laughs> So I always felt it was very special, but I didn't really recognize what all this was until actually I wrote the book and tried to figure out. Because when I walked up on that porch, I knew that I was brought there for a reason. And what was going through my mind, if I was brought that brought there for a reason, what was that reason? Right. You know, uh, and who did it? Who brought me there, and why? And why? And that's what instigated my uh, in, um, immediate uh, interest in this property. And and th- that's when I started uh, the next day researching the property, researching the history, and especially after I uh, discovered my mother's maiden name, uh, I then find found out that uh, of the first five – now, this, this, this place is only about seven miles from Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, uh, when I started my research, and I knew I had family in the area and I had uh, resources in the area, family members to talk to and that sort of thing, and I found out that, my, that of the first five women that graduated from Virginia Tech in 1925, two of them were related to me. One of them, Lucy Lee Lancaster, became the uh, librarian at Virginia Tech Library for the next 52 years. And her hobbies was genealogy. And now her papers, 40 cubic feet of her papers, are archived at the Virginia Tech Library. And so when I found out the Lucy Lee Lancaster collection was there, I immediately reserved those boxes and went in and searched every one of them. And that's when I discovered that the property I just bought was connected to three of my first-generation grandfathers from 1738. That's, that's three different bloodlines, three different first-generation grandfathers to that piece of property. And so at that point, I knew there was a, that I was brought there for a reason, and I was determined to find out why. And, and that must lead into, you know, you've probably got kind of like a Venn diagram going on of like, here's the property research, here's my family tree research, you know, and I'm going to bring my genealogy and combine that into the property and then seeing where that kind of fans out from there. And, and I'm sure, like, by that point, as you're putting all these pieces together, 
you're thinking that you're figuring out some of the puzzle, but just being there on the property, it's throwing new mysteries at you while you're there. Oh, absolutely. For the first 10 years of my research, as I own this property, I discovered that uh, it's connected to George Washington, the French and Indian War, the Draper's Meadow Massacre, which happened on on, on, uh, on what is now Virginia Tech property. Um, it, it was the most amazing history that I've ever I've, I've ever put together, and it all was a was um, uh, about my property, <laughs> which this mill site. And for ten years, I researched that. So, I, so I, I'm trying to find out. What the history of this, and I, I, I study the geology of the property because this place is is is, is, is thoroughly prehistoric. I mean, so I, I studied the history for ten years, um, and uh, came to the conclusion obviously that this, this property is very, very, very special. And I and I started to understand what my ancestors had to do with this property, but I couldn't really draw the connection on why, it, you know. My, my feelings from the very beginning was it was my ancestors who brought me there, but why would they bring me there? You know, uh, uh, that, and that was that was the biggest question. And it wasn't until actually the supernatural activity started up on the property that uh, I started to put two and two together. And that's when the supernatural activity started up. I filmed and photographed every bit of it because I knew something was going on. Um, it wasn't a haunting. I knew it wasn't a haunting. It wasn't scary. It wasn't fearful. It was exciting, exhilarating. It was more like a communication event. And I knew something was trying to get in touch with me and to show me something. And I just had no idea what it was, but it was like they fed me clues. They would give me one clue. I would figure it out, and they would give me another one. And I just kept on following the clues, trying to figure out what they meant. Um, and uh, eventually it showed me exactly what I was supposed to find. And, and see, that's something that I find to be fascinating when, when doing paranormal research because, all right, like, you know, we're, we're friends here on the show with, uh, with, with Amy Bruni and Adam Berry of Kindred Spirits, and they're going out there and they're helping families that are haunted by their own loved ones. But I've always kind of felt like almost that your own loved ones aren't a haunting if if it's your family and your in your uh, ancestors that are the ones that are active on a property and they're interacting with you if you were taken out of the equation the property probably wouldn't have that activity anymore so it's not really a haunting as much as it is just a, a connection for you to have with your past loved ones and it, it sounds like that's exactly what it was for you you know if i went and lived on this property i might never have a single experience but because you're there and you're part of that lineage it's kind of all-encompassing and, and enveloping for you that's right and my, and my girlfriend lived on that property for four years as she went to virginia tech and she never experienced anything hmm. because she wasn't the target well, you say target, but I don't know if that's you know you you must you mean that more like as uh, you know more as who they were trying to spotlight into this activity because it doesn't sound like you know it sounds like it's just trying to include you in in their collective past, trying to bring you into you know this entire history of your family and, and bring you into that more than more so than trying to victimize you in any way. Right, right. I, I felt like I, I was marked as a kid in West Virginia playing in those caves. I, 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 I've come to the conclusion that I was marked at that point. Um, and that just so happens when I was playing in those caves in West Virginia, in the limestone caves, those, that 
that limestone belt is the same limestone belt that is the bedrock my house is built on. And of course, you know, you probably know limestone has a um, is known to have spiritual uh, qualities to to it because the limestone was once uh, living organisms at the bottom of an ocean. <laughs> so, so the uh, most of the answers that, that that finally put everything together for me in this book was. Uh, mostly when I got into ball, involved with the Cherokee folklore and their spirituality, they they had the answers that put, that connected everything together, and uh, uh, showed me what why I was brought there. And, and that's what I think is uh, you know part of this is is your there's there's a reason behind it. You know, a lot of times when there's paranormal activity, there's not always a reason behind it. People say, well, if we can just figure out what it is that they want, maybe they'll go away type of thing. And I don't think that that's the case a lot of times with activity. Like you said, with that limestone, the factors are just right for a haunting to take place. And so a haunting could keep taking place in perpetuity over and over again for, for thousands of years without ever having any need to solve anything or figure anything out. But with you, it's different. With you, there's a direct reason and a direct type of, of, of story that's trying to be told. Yeah, I, that's why I, mean. I think this story is different than any other story I've ever read anywhere. Um, I've never, never read a story or heard about a story or researched a story like this um, because this was all about purpose and destiny. And uh, when I finally figured out why I was brought there, it all made sense. It all made sense and, and showed me at that point that all the things that I've, I've experienced during, during my life were all uh, on purpose leading up to this point. Um, it, 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 I, 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 knew, I, I knew that, um, it, it, of course, if I was brought there for a reason, um, I... It just, I just had to figure out what that reason was, and, right. and, and once the supernatural activity started up, and I, I think the way the supernatural activity started up, um, started off, um, uh, that's when that's when I, I started getting the clues and started figuring out, and that the supernatural activity really uh, lasted for about a year, and it would happen any time I would look for it. It was like it was, uh, it was, all, it, it felt like the supernatural activity was happening, but it was being projected from me. That might sound kind of weird, but it was like um, it, it was like uh, well, the first experience with a supernatural activity. I got a chapter in the book called "The Seventh Step," mm -hmm. and uh, I was remodeling the stairs in the house, which were old, three uh, hundred year old white oak steps that were covered in paint and, and carpeting, and I had to hand scrape each each step. Um, to the bare, bare wood to, to restore it. And so there were 12 steps all together. And I started on step number one. It would take me about a weekend to do, a, do one set of steps. When I got to the seventh step, the same chill bumps that I experienced outside when I first arrived started happening, uh, you know, traveling up and down my spine. I could step off the step and they would go away. I could step below the step, it'd go away, or I could step above the step, and it would go away. And then I would come back to that step, and, and I could re recreate this this experience anytime I wanted to. And so that's when I knew that something was going on, and I knew it wasn't a haunting. Um, 
So I went out and studied all the uh, ghost shows that I could, of course, because I, I needed to investigate this, what was going on. And so I bought, a, uh, first of all, I reco recorded the EVP on the steps. And right at the seventh step, uh, when I was recording the EVP, it wasn't a voice. It was more like an electronic squelch on my uh, recorder. Mm -hmm. And what I assumed from that was um, that this was something trying to affect my equipment that I was, that I was, uh, it was trying to get my attention by affecting the, my electronic equipment. So it did what it only could do with, it, with energy that it had was, uh, was this electronic squelch, which I recorded and, and, and took, took for, and went on from there. But I knew, uh, this, so it, but it wasn't scary, but it was definitely a, a communication event. But I was thinking at the time that if these are ancient spirits, maybe, or maybe ancient Indian spirits, they're not going to really speak in English anyway. So they're not, they, they really aren't trying, but, but, but it just definitely seemed like they were trying to affect my electronic equipment. And that's when I went out and bought a uh, $80 Panasonic infrared video camera. And I filmed the uh, steps uh, in total darkness. And as I panned up against, I panned uh, over the seventh step, I would lose two frames. And I, could do, I did that three times. And on the third time, you could see what only, I can only describe as ectoplasm jump off the seventh step exactly where I was getting the, um, the chill bumps. Wow. So I, and that's all, that's all, that, that was my first experience on filming something that I didn't know what it was, and I was still it was still I got the impression it was something trying to affect the, the electronic equipment that I had, so I would notice something was there. Yeah, because sometimes when you capture you know evidence, when you capture data like that, it's kind of just a in in. in, in being in the moment and being in the right place at the right time type of thing where, you know, you just happen to capture it in passing. But yours seems like it was specifically making direct, re you know, directly reaching out and communicating with you in particular. Correct. And, I, and that's what I felt at the time. I, I was sure that something was trying to tell me something. And I just didn't know. And they just didn't know how to do it. So, you know, I figured if, you know, the spirit world trying to contact the natural physical world, how would they do it? Well, they would do it by affecting some, affect, using energy to affect something in the physical world. And that's what I, I assumed they were doing. It was affecting my camera. It was producing, it was affecting my recorder. It was trying to, and I, and I, and every time from then, and from then on, I started filming things around the house and, uh, uh, I got unbelievable orbs flying around with trails on them and, but, but it was obvious that they were trying to appear for me as I was filming. So, and, and so I kept on following these uh, 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 orbs, and, and these orbs started to appear in every shape and size. And the only way that I could really find them is, is go through the – take video, but go through it frame by frame because these were extraordinary fast uh, – Orbs. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, when the thing jumped off the seventh step, uh, I only got it in three frames. But you could see it change change shapes and jump off the off the, the, the stairs in three frames. That means if you have thirty frames per second, then it, then uh, 
it took one-tenth of a second for this jumping off the stairs to happen. And the only way you would know it is by going, going to the, through the film frame by frame, and then you saw it. And it wasn't the only thing that was happening while you were, I mean, you were finding other strange connections as well, besides just paranormal stuff. Or wasn't, there were some petroglyphs that you found, too. Uh, well, that's what I kept on following the clues, on, and and and, the, and these this this energy kept on uh, leading me, leading led led me around the house. Then it led me out on the front porch, and the iron iron railings all the way around the front porch. Uh, I would get spikes of the electromagnetic field would spike ten uh, ten times or tenfold um, just at certain spots, and I, I and. Um, so after I uh, recorded that and filmed that, I started filming things outside, and especially after after um, weather events. Um, I would and and it overlooked my porch overlooked the creek, and I would film the creek would actually bubble up like a witch's cauldron every time it rained. Now I, I was associating most of this with with. Uh, uh, gases and stuff like that produced by all the springs running into the creek right there, but and when it, when it rained, it was the acid rain going through the through the rocks and coming out in the creek. It would bubble up like crazy, and it would do it every time it rained. And so I started filming the creek every time that this started bubbling up, and then I started filming objects swimming through the water that were un- unidentifiable. Um, so, so it basically led me. All this supernatural activity led me down to the creek, and uh, one morning, I w- decided to go investigate the, the bottom of the dam since the water was at a low level. And I found a rock sitting there on top of a sitting there. It must have been under underwater forever, and it was the perfect image of a of a fish head hmm. on the rock. And that's when I started to get the idea that these were petroglyphs um, around there. And one morning, it, after a light snow, I was on the front porch, and I could see the outline of an old Indian trail coming, uh, cutting across my property. I could see it between the, the, the light snow and the dead brown leaves. You could see the, see the trail uh, perfectly. And when I went out to investigate the, um, the trail, uh, the trail ended right at the road. So I knew there was an Indian trail on the, around this property, but I figured it was covered up years ago. And at the end of the trail where it was cut off and a road was put in near the mill, where the mill was, I found a, a rock that I could not – it was the oddest-looking rock I've ever seen in my life. And this is a, per, this is a permanent uh, rock in the ground. It's not, not a portable rock. And I, and I took high-resolution photographs of the whole area because it all looked kind of strange, and it wasn't until I looked at these high-resolution photographs that I realized that these were all carved petroglyphs of the most odd type ever. <laughs> and and I'm now coming to the conclusion the whole mountainside is carved with these petroglyphs. And of course, I put them in. Uh, I, I document all this in, in, in my book. But these uh, these. This archaeological discovery, I have now written three um, articles for ancientorigins.net because they believe that I have discovered an ancient civilization on my property. Um, but, boy, you're talking about uh, pushback when you start talking. You know, people, 
people can grasp the paranormal end of this 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 story. Right. They cannot handle <laughs> the archaeological discovery. Well, and it's very bizarre. And it, I've, I've had the, I've had the state archaeologists out there and everything. It makes me wonder if that maybe the your your previous family that lived there you know maybe they were drawn to that area even though they were settlers that came to that area but maybe there's some sort of connection between them and that ancient civilization in some way well, well there is because uh my ancestors were the first settlers in that area and they settled their colony right on top of this what i think is an ancient colony and with even extraterrestrial connections i've got rocks with with perfectly images of extraterrestrials on on the rocks so my my theory is that my ancestors uh built their colony on top of another colony another ancient colony because this, remember this is the uh, the perfect passageway through the mountains uh it's where an ancient colony would settle because it has the it has the my 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 ancestors were German. They built mills. They built they they, and I, this this property is has nothing but energy emanating from it. So, if you would think extraterrestrials coming to Earth, thousands. I mean, these are probably the ancestors to the uh, to the American East Coast Indians. But whether they're extraterrestrials, I don't know. But if they were extraterrestrial, they would have picked that spot out to settle. So it's very ironic that my ancestors built their colony on top of an ancient colony. Well, and those, you know, those civilizations from uh, other planets or other dimensions or wherever these UFOs may be coming from, they're still visiting you to this day. That's right. And, and there's an old folklore of, I think it's the uh, planet of Pro- Proton, I believe. But they, uh, there's an old folklore story where they were the uh, aliens that came to the uh, North America and became the East Coast American Indians eventually. So, don't know. <laughs> but it all kind of made sense. Um, so, so I think that that's one of the reasons why my ancestors brought me to that property was to discover what they had uh, mistakenly built on top of now if you if you believe in in spiritualism and you believe in people when they die they go to a spiritual world you've got to assume that they go to the same place that these extraterrestrials went to when they uh their souls went away so, so it's my theory that these uh my ancestors my ancestral spirits conspired with ancient, these ancient Indian spirits to bring me to this property to find this this ancient ancient colony. Because if I wouldn't have come there, these would have never been found ever. And, and they were just found because whatever, because these ancestral spirits or whatever they were showed me where they were. So I I researched heavily. I had to research. And, you know, this 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 story involves numerology, sacred geometry elementals spirit guides it all ties together to connect everything together but it also seems too that when you start to put this all together and put together a bigger picture this is a story that goes beyond just your family and your connections i mean it's it's basically just 
putting this all together as kind of like one case study of something that actually applies to all of mankind. Exactly. In fact, that's one of the things where uh, Cherokee Indians believe that you know there's 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 three types of ancestral spirits. There's the, the, the there's ancestor spirit, blood, and place. So not only are you connected by blood to these ancestors, you're, you're connected by anything that ever had crossed over that land uh, and embedded their energy energy in there. Plus, you have all the plants and animals that died in that in that area are part of your ancestral background and. It, it, it's, it, but, but but a Cherokee folklore tells us that when spirits contact us, they contact us, they, they contact us in dreams and, and numerology and, and 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 all these different ways they they contact us to the, in the, our physical world. But generally, when when I was researching like angels and that sort of thing, when they contact people in the physical world. They have us. They have. It can be a broad message for mankind. They're trying to tell you. That's up to us to figure out what that is. But I do believe that this whole story was put together because it makes a dang good argument for an afterlife. And because you can either believe that all, everything that happened in this book, everything that I found, all the supernatural stuff is all coincidental and and random. Or you have to believe that it was on, done for a reason. If it was done for a reason, then what was, were those reasons? And I, I really came up with three different reasons why, but uh, a, a, a giant message for mankind was definitely one of those reasons. It wanted to show you that you do go somewhere when you die. You know, your, your life doesn't end. Uh, it, it continues on. But it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's not like it's uh, an afterlife in the sense of, you know, you're going on to this, uh, this other dimension or to, to heaven or to whatever you want to call it. It's more like you're becoming part of this greater uh, bank of knowledge and you're becoming part of the universe and still able to kind of reach back and direct those who are still living. Absolutely, and it's all new knowledge that really has never been looked at this way. Uh, it, it's... It's, it shows you that our ancestors and our and whoever lived before us still exist in some form or another, and it's and and somehow they do still connect to the physical world, and that's when you can get into vortexes and 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 all kinds of crazy stuff at that point. And it, and it seems like this is like I said, it's like a case study that kind of opens the doors to all of that high strangeness. That you know, it's almost like there's nothing that's off limits. In in pursuing the research that you have, like, has there been anything that came at you that you had to say, wait? I mean, once you got once things got rolling, obviously, but did anything come at you and say, wow, now this is a weird direction that I never could wrap my mind around uh, if, it, if it wasn't um, happening? Well, it, it was it was it was finally when I went when it, it, it was when I found the petroglyphs. I had to come up with an explanation. <laughs> You know, I, I could handle the the, the super the, the supernatural end of it was was it was obviously happening for a reason, but I didn't know what that reason was until I found the petroglyphs, and it was obvious when I found these. It, it was like instantaneous through my through my thought patterns that when I when I figured this out, I knew that I it was almost like writing the book was part, one of the reasons I was brought there to document 
because this stuff is all documented. It's not like I, you know, I dreamed this stuff or, or I think this was happening. You know, I actually filmed the supernatural activity, and I've got all these rock petroglyphs on. On you know, I got hundreds of portable petroglyphs. Uh, but really difficult to get the, get the scientific community involved. Very difficult because they're taught not that this stuff doesn't exist. So how can they ever admit to that, that it does exist? But I think part of that, too, is that you have to kind of suspend everything. Like, if you, you know, if you are a, a, a quote-unquote empirical scientist, you know, you've spent your entire life dedicated to certain rules of physics that you accept as absolutes. And to be able to start looking at all of this stuff uh, objectively and to be able to say, okay, maybe this is real and it's worth pursuing, you have to be willing to suspend everything that you have spent your entire life kind of accepting as law. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, the, the, so the scientific community uh, doesn't understand this at all. Even though I've, written, I've written articles for Ancient Origins about how the left brain and right brain, because the left brain will look at these rocks and see nothing, uh, nothing on or, out of the ordinary. They, they say, "Well, these are all natural." And then the right brain person will look at it and see all kinds of images and and, and structures in the, in these carvings. And it's just the left brain, the right brain, <laughs> working against each other. So there's really nothing wrong with not seeing any of this stuff here. But once you see it, it's it's evident that it's there. Uh, and it all has to do with co- you know the, you know the, the mantra of the book is there are no coincidences. Uh, everything's connected, and everything happens for a reason. And. Uh, now I had to become an Uber driver because because to pay to pay to pay my bills while I wrote the book and this sort of sure. thing. And just recently, I picked up a lawyer in town here, and he bought my book. And I saw my book right at my you know, like, a, like a musician selling CDs out of the back of his car. I sent my book out <laughs> to Uber, and uh, he bought a copy. And three days later, I got a call from him, and he wants me to speak now at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which I didn't even know existed. Uh, and so I'm speaking speaking with them next uh, next month. Uh, but the Noet, uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences is about all this science, uh, super uh, science and the supernatural blending together. I mean, basically, um, it's it, 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 it's it's the science that um, uh, that proves. The supernatural and human consciousness and all this kind of stuff that that really is that that fluffy stuff you can't really touch that, but you know it's there. Right, and and I think that that's uh, that's a, a big part of why you know science doesn't accept the paranormal, but it seems like most of society can, or is at least willing to listen to the idea of it because we are not regimented by that, and we are not stuck in that mindset of. If it doesn't fit what we think we already know, then how can we understand it, and how 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 can it be known if we we would know it already? And so right, I think that right. and the state, when a state archaeologist was out there, he he was great, but he you know I could tell that he he was baffled <laughs> on what he saw. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean you're was, out of your comfort zone. He was even more interested in the paranormal end of it, which I was telling him about. He was fascinated with that, and it was really readily accepted that. Uh, but the, the, the petroglyphs, I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, 
I think certainly, uh, I mean, we're running out of time here. Uh, and, of course, people can pick up the book, The Seibold Effect, Beyond Science, History, Ghosts, and the Appalachian Supernatural. You can get that uh, just by going right to our guest's website, John David Miller's website, and you can get that at thecyboldeffect.com, S-I-B-O-L-D. And uh, we have it linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com and on all social media as well. Uh, so I recommend people pick up the book to get even deeper into it, and they can follow you on Facebook as well with your, your Facebook page for the book. But overall, I mean, just if I, if I have one final question for you, uh, it'll be do you feel like this is going to continue to be your life's work, these connections that are being made? Because it, it seems like you're never really going to have everything all figured out and, and new mysteries and new connections are coming at you every day. Right, right. I think I think my mission now, and I think my is is to tell the story, get the story out there, and, and to be known. And that's been the hardest thing ever because, you know, number one, I couldn't find a publisher, I couldn't find an agent anywhere that believed, believed me, so I had to self-publish the book. Uh, but the book's got three hundred photographs in it. It definitely, doc- but but to get that message out there, it's very very difficult. So I think I, I see myself now doing things like talking at the Institute of Noetic Sciences and doing seminars and hopefully getting people interested in this and getting other people that that are interested in and help come help me research. I mean, I just touched the beginning of this stuff. I mean, this is just the, the icing on the cake. I mean, it, it, there's so much more, and I just need people. But there are no experts in this field, I have found. That's true. I mean, and it's more of a matter of uh, the, the minute that you think that you know everything that there is to know, that's when the curveballs get thrown at you and you have to rethink it all over again. Absolutely. And I think this was all shown to me for purpose to tell the world. And But it's, it's taken some time, but uh, slowly but surely. Well, uh, thank you for joining us tonight and sharing some of your thoughts on it. And, uh, and again, if everybody wants to pick up the book, thecyboldeffect.com is the website to go to. And uh, you can also check it out on Facebook as well. Uh, definitely a great read. And as you mentioned, lots of photographs, lots of great history. And you start to see these connections and say, hey, you know, maybe there's a reason why I'm drawn to the certain place. Or maybe there's a reason why I get these feelings when I go here. And, and it makes you kind of think about things in your own life as well. So, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right. You have a great night. You too. Thanks. Bye. That is our guest, John David Miller. Again, one more time, the SibolDeffect.com, S-I-B-O-L-D. And that's the name of the book as well. So you can pick it up there and plus, uh, you know, wherever else you get books, Amazon, uh, all those sites, uh, it's up on all those as well. Well, that does it for this week's show. Uh, We will be back next week, right? Next week is not the 9th, right? No. We have another week before the ninth. So we'll be back next week with another show talking more about the paranormal. If you want to follow along with us, you can follow along with us at SpookySouthCoast.com and on Twitter at SpookySC and on Instagram. And download the free Spooky South Coast app so you can catch up on all the shows, over 500 of them for you, with all kinds of paranormal guests and different things. And as I mentioned earlier, there's only about eight or nine tickets left for our Lizzie Borden event coming up September 23rd. You can get those tickets at SpookySouthCoast.com as well. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, I'm, and Ashley, I'm Tim. Stay spectacular.